Psalm 74, a maskil of Asaph. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the nation you purchased long ago, the people of your inheritance whom you redeemed, Mount Zion where you dwelt. Turn your steps towards these everlasting ruins, all this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They set up their standards as signs. They behaved like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved panelling with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. We are given no signs from God. No prophets are left. And none of us knows how long this will be. How long will the enemy mock you, God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. But God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord, how foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand over the life of your dove to wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Have regard for your covenant, because haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamour of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually. And now Pete is going to come and preach that to us so that we can all understand it. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, so, yeah, keep your Bibles open uh, on that page, uh, 587, Psalm 74. Uh, we're doing a series through the Psalms. We're not going to get through them all this summer, but we've been doing it summer by summer. And the Psalms are like a songbook in the Bible. So, this is just like a standalone song in the Bible. It's a very old song. And we're going to see what it means for us today, what God is going to say to us through it today. So, yeah, let's pray that God will speak to us. Let's just pray. Father God, we do thank you that you are here with us by your Spirit. We pray that you'll speak to us through your Word. Lord, we ask that um, through what I say, you'll take away anything that's not of you. Lord, we pray that we'll each have open hearts to hear from you. Lord, we thank you that your Word is powerful and active and living. And Lord, we pray that you'll um, apply it to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, 
yeah, there's a radio show I like listening to, which has a feature every week called First, Last and Everything. My first, my last, my everything, named after that uh, Barry White song. And each week they get guests on and they ask them what their first song they ever bought was, what their last song they bought, it kind of means latest song they bought, really, uh, and what their everything record is. So maybe the record that means everything to them, something that's stuck with them through life. And the idea is it sort of shows something of where they came from, what they got their first record, shows something of where they came from. Then there's a kind of snapshot of where they are now, what's the latest thing they've been listening to. And then their everything is supposedly showing you something about what's really at the heart of them. So I had to think about what my first, last, and everything records were. Uh, it's a bit tricky now, isn't it, with Spotify and all those things. I'm not really buying records anymore. Apparently, some young people are now again. Um, so the first r record I bought, although it was a cassette tape, I think was Now 29. Now, that's what I call music, 29. I think you'll in, in, uh, agree it's an enduring classic. Uh, songs like Baby Come Back, Pato Banton, uh, The Crash Test Dummies, all good songs. Uh, the latest record I bought, well, I haven't bought a CD in ages, so I looked on my Spotify Most Played, and it turns out it's the Barbie soundtrack. So, um, yeah, I do like to just say at this point, I do share a Spotify account with my family. So, um, yeah, I'll leave you to decide who's the Barbie fan in my house. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure I could decide what my everything record was, so maybe we'll come back to that later. But the point is, that last, or that latest record in my life, the Barbie soundtrack, does sort of show something about my life, doesn't it? Show something about who I am. It's a snapshot of where I am. I'm either a massive Barbie fan, or I'm a dad of three girls. If any of you don't know me, I'll just say I am a dad of three girls. So as we come to this psalm, Psalm 74, it kind of gives us a snapshot uh, of where the people of God were, what their situation was. So it's not the beginning of the story, it's not their first song, it's certainly not the end of the story, but it's the song they sing in the middle, in the situation that's, that they're in right now. So perhaps we could think about what the first, last, and everything song was of the people of God. So perhaps you'd say that the first song the people of God sang was the song of Moses and Miriam. So after they'd escaped uh, from Egypt. God sent, um, do you remember, like, the people of God were slaves in Egypt, and God, uh, through Moses, rescued them from their slavery there in Egypt. And he sent plagues on the Egyptians, so that eventually the Egyptians said, yeah, you can go. And then he parted the sea. A whole sea was pulled apart so that God's people could walk through on dry land. And then the sea closed back over the Egyptians who were pursuing them at this point and destroyed them completely. That's an incredible rescue, isn't it? And the first thing God's people did after that rescue was sang a song. They burst into song. So, yeah, it's up there on the screen, a little bit of the song that they sung. It says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. So he's hurled the Egyptians into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He saved me. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. 
And you know, that first song again and again kind of comes back through the Bible, through the years. They make new songs which celebrate God's rescue there uh, from Exodus. They're sort of remixes of that song all the way through Psalms as they rewrite the song about that, that, that Old Testament rescue. It's a key thing as they remember it. But as we get to this song, Psalm 74, a lot has happened since then. Because almost immediately after that rescue, the people started to rebel against God. They grumbled about the place that he'd brought them to, where he'd rescued them to. So God called them back and gave them his word, gave them the Ten Commandments, you might remember that. And yet again they said, no, we don't want to do that, we'll go our own way. Straight away they built a golden calf, a golden statue to worship instead of God. And God called them back again. And each time, God gave them warnings, saying, if you disobey the Lord, there will be judgment. Again and again, the story of the Old Testament is the story of God's people wandering away from him and his rescue of them again and again and warning them. Through it all, God was unfailingly faithful and true. He warned them if they kept disobeying, he would send judgment that other nations would come and take them over, and that for a limited time they would be taken over by other nations and only a remnant would remain. So then we get to what this psalm, Psalm 74, appears to be about. In 587 BC, God's warnings became a reality. God's people had continued to disobey him, rebel against him, and he sent judgment. This neighboring superpower... Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, came and destroyed Jerusalem. That was the capital city for those people. It came and destroyed it. Many people were killed. Many people were captured, taken off into slavery. Everything in the city they held dear was destroyed. Just as God had promised, their wandering had led to judgment. And that's where we get to this song. So if the first song of the free people of Israel was... The Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation, that great rescue song. This is now their latest song, their last song. It says, O oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? So gone are those times of rejoicing. Gone even seems hope. All around, he just looks, and it seems like there's unending destruction and rejection. The psalmist is looking over the ruins of Jerusalem and saying, why, God, why? So that's a lot of history. What relevance does all that have for us? All this stuff happened at least 2,500 years ago, so what does it mean for us? Well, I think it's relevant for us because we all have times when Like Jerusalem, our lives can seem to be in ruins. We can perhaps remember those happier times when we sung happier songs, but then it all comes crashing down. And maybe even like the people of God, like the Israelites, it's because of our own actions. Maybe we've messed it all up and we're reaping the consequences. And we look around and all we see is ruins, destruction. What should we do in that situation? What do we do when we look and all we can see is what seems like unending ruin? 
And if your life, if you're thinking this morning, well, that's not me. If your life's not in ruins, you're not facing huge trials, well, praise God for that. But the little ups and downs of life are the practice ground for those times, aren't they? There's principles in this psalm that we're going to see that we can apply to the little ups and downs of life as well as the big things, because it's training for when life is hard. So we're going to look, look through this psalm, see in three sections how we should respond in those times of hard times, how we should even sing in those hard times. Remember, this is a song. So verse 1 to 11, we're going to see we pray honestly. And then verse 12 to 17, we remember the Lord's character. And then the final section, we ask God to remember his justice and mercy. So verse 1 to 11, have a look back at that. In, In there, the psalmist describes what he sees and how it makes him feel. He talks about feeling rejected forever, that God's anger is smoldering against his own sheep. He describes Jerusalem as an everlasting ruin, and he asks God to turn his steps towards all the destruction the enemy has brought. You get that sense he's in despair, don't you? All seems lost. The nation's capital's fallen apart, and with it, everything that God's people thought they knew just feels like the pain is going on and on. And again, in these ver- again, again, in these verses, it sort of talks about unending words, things like forever, everlasting, how long will this be? Jerusalem's in ruins, and the psalmist just feels like it's ongoing suffering as a result. There was real suffering in the Babylonian conquest in Jerusalem. Later in the psalm, he talks about there being um, haunts of violence in the dark places of the land, and the poor and the needy being oppressed. These were awful times for the people of God. But in these verses, notice he focuses on the temple or the sanctuary. Now let's just reread verses 4 to 8. It says, Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They set up their standards as signs. They behaved like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. The psalmist is recounting how the Babylonians trashed the temple. Like men swinging wildly with axes, they went through and destroyed it. And then they set up their own flags in the temple to say, this is no longer about God, this is about our place. This is the place where the Lord had set up a place for his people to meet with him, a place where he would display his glory, and now it's gone. Not just gone, but deliberately desecrated. Then in verse 9 to 10, we see the implication of how the psalmist is feeling with the temple gone. He says, we are given no signs from God, no prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. It seems like there's silence from God. The enemy is mocking God, and there seems to be no response, no word from prophets, no place to meet him, and he seems inactive. Have a look at verse uh, 11. Why do you hold back your hand your right hand, take it from the folds of your garments and destroy them. It's kind of a shocking verse, isn't it? The psalmist says, why aren't you doing anything, God? Take your hands out of your pockets and rescue us. It's almost shockingly honest, isn't it? 
We almost can't believe the psalmist dare pray or sing like this. I think that's something we can take from these first 11 verses. Pray honestly. Bring your complaints to God. Tell him how you feel. Is your prayer, is your prayer life as honest as this psalm? There are times, aren't there, when our life does feel in ruins, when not only God seems silent but inactive. We can tell that to God. We can bring it to God. In all the wrestling of this psalm with all its whys and how longs, remember the first words are, Oh God. Oh God, why? Oh God, how long? Oh God, act. I know when I face difficulties, I can be very slow to pray like this. I'm pretty quick to look to myself. I might say, oh Pete, why is it always like this for you? And I grumble away, oh Pete, this is awful, this is awful. Or I might say, oh Pete, how can you get yourself out of this? This psalm has simply reminded me to pray, oh God. Oh God, and bring my troubles to him honestly. You know, it's not that we should try and stir up these feelings or complaints if we don't have them. But if we're complaining to others, if we're chuntering away to ourselves, and then we come to prayer when we're praying what we think are spiritual type prayers, are we really being honest with God? Or are we putting our faith in a box, putting God in a box, a box that doesn't deal with our deepest worries and complaints? So when you see things in ruins all around you, pray, and pray honestly. It's going to look different for each of us, isn't it? Some are very emotional, some are anxious, some aren't. But whatever you're like, bring it to God. He longs to hear from you. In the midst of all that silence and inactivity, how can we know that he does long to hear from us? Well, that leads us on to the next section of the psalm, verses 12 to 17. We remember the Lord's character. We remember who the Lord is. There's a real change of tone in this song in verse 12. As the song says, amidst all this ruin and misery, but God, but God. It's remembering God and who he is that changes the tone. That's what makes the difference. He says, uh, verse 12, but God is my king from long ago. God is king. God is from long ago. He's always unchanging. He's the eternal king. In shifting circumstances, he never changes. You know, the psalmist began, didn't he, by feeling like this ruin and destruction were unending, were forever. But now he remembers what is truly forever, or rather, who is truly forever. God, the eternal king from long ago. Whatever you're facing might feel like it's unending, but the storms of life do come and go, don't they? But the Lord doesn't change. He is always there. Then this song goes on to remind us of God's acts in the past. Let's reread verse 13 to 17. It was you, you God, who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of the Leviathan and gave it as food to the creatures in the desert. I think there he's 
looking back to that first song again, saying you split the sea apart and then you crushed it over the monster of the Egyptians chasing us. It's remembering the Lord is a rescuer. The Lord is that saviour that he has been from long ago. Uh, Then it goes on, it was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. I think now he's looking back even further to remember that God is the all-powerful creator. And it says, the day is yours, and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. That's the sort of natural conclusion of remembering that God is the creator, isn't it? To remember that he's the owner of it all, the ruler of it all. Right now, right here, he rules because he created all of it. The day is his, the night is his, everything is his. It goes on, it was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. All the boundaries of the earth are within God's power. Political boundaries, geographical boundaries, even the celestial universe boundaries, God's power is above them all. So this song says, bring your problems honestly to God, but then pause and remember his character. Remember, he is the creator and sustainer of all things. Everything is his. Everything's under his rule. All boundaries that are set or that are moving are under his boundary, which encloses everything. He has the power to act. And he has acted in the past. Remember that great salvation when he worked that rescue for God's people, when he parted that sea. We can look back to a rescue too, can't we? We can look back to the perfect saving act that the psalmist here only had really seen a shadow of in the parting of the sea. We can look back to the cross where Jesus died for us. At that moment, Jesus rescued us from slavery and he crushed our enemy. This psalm talks of breaking the heads of the monster and crushing the Leviathan, crushing those forces of evil at work. But it was at the cross that there was this final decisive victory over evil. Some of my favorite verses are Colossians uh, 2. I think I've put it up on the screen. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. Oh, that might be a bit small, is it? But it says, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. That's an amazing rescue, isn't it, to look back on. We were dead. We weren't just enslaved. We were dead, but now we are alive. Thank you, Jesus, for that. He forgave us all our sins. How incredible to know that our past sins are forgiven with. Uh, Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. So those evil powers and forces, those monsters or Leviathan, if you like, are disarmed, triumphed over and publicly humiliated at the cross. At the cross, we remember God's great saving act, God's crushing of the enemy. And we can make that personal too, can't we? We can look back at when that saving work was applied to us, when we were brought into Jesus, when we were saved. So when we're facing those times of seeming unending ruin, we remember the Lord's character, that he is the king forever. We remember what he's done in history, that he did that amazing rescue. And we remember what he's done in our lives, that rescue that he brought to us. 
We can be so prone to forget that, can't we, when we're in the midst of worry and stress of terrible situations. We remember, we're sort of prone to forget God's past faithfulness when we think about the present or the future. But God has always been faithful and good to you, and he will continue to be faithful and good to you. He is the eternal, unchanging king. So this song not only calls us to... uh, pray honestly and to remember the Lord's character, but it also is bold enough to ask God to remember. We ask God to remember his justice and mercy. In verse 18 to 23, we see the psalmist asking God to remember. It's not that he thinks that God has forgotten, but he's saying, look, Lord, look at what's going on. Remember your character. Won't you have regard for your justice and mercy? Won't you act consistently with who you are? It says, uh, have a look at verse 18. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord. How foolish people have reviled your name. He's saying, look, Lord, this disgrace that's come on Jerusalem doesn't just look like shame for us, your people. It's directed at you. The enemy forces are mocking you. And then verse 22. Rise up, O God. Defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually. Says, Lord, the enemy seems to be getting away with this destruction, this awful treatment of God's people, this mocking of you. It's like he's saying, bring justice to this situation, Lord. This isn't fair. These destroyers, these mockers deserve judgment. Bring your judgment on them, Lord. Remember your justice. And amongst all that, God's people are suffering. Verse 19, do not hand over the life of your dove to wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. God's people are afflicted, trodden down. They feel like doves being thrown to the wolves. There's violence everywhere. The people are poor and needy and oppressed. And the psalmist says, rise up, O God. Remember your mercy to these people. Save them from this suffering. Remember your mercy. Remember your justice. Do you think the psalmist seems pretty sure of himself to pray like this, doesn't he? He says, do this. Don't do this. To God. Well, if you look at it, it's not that he's sure of himself, but that he's sure of God. He's sure of who God is. He's not asking God to act in his own way. He's asking God to act in God's way, to act consistently with who God is. He's sure of God's character. So he can pray these things with confidence. He knows he's praying to a just and merciful God, so he can ask him to remember his justice and mercy. And this psalm kind of ends there with no resolution, really. The psalmist had a limited view of the situation. He was living it. But from our standpoint, we can see how this prayer for the Lord to remember his justice and mercy was answered. Because over 500 years later came an event which would show God's justice and mercy perfectly. God sees every suffering of his people, every attack they face from the Babylonians or whoever, and he had compassion on them. And so he sent his only son to rescue them. But God also sees every sin done by his people. 
every injustice they carry out, every wandering from him, every rebellion against him. And so he sent his only son to rescue them. When Jesus died on the cross, the mercy of God is so clear to see, isn't it? As Jesus dies for his poor and needy and afflicted people. And when Jesus died on the cross, the justice of God is so clear to see. As the sin of his people is punished. Jesus took on himself the judgment we deserved. In a sense, the cross is the answer to this prayer for God to remember his justice and mercy. The Israelites saw the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple because of judgment against them. But God's judgment finally came on the perfect temple. Not a building, but the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus described himself as the temple. And the full measure of God's judgment was poured out on Jesus. That perfect temple was destroyed. His body was destroyed. Praise God, three days later, the temple rose again. Jesus rose again. So, you know, we don't need to fear judgment coming on us. We've wandered. We've rebelled against God. But if we trust in Jesus, that judgment has already been placed on him at the cross. We don't need to fear everlasting ruin because Jesus was ruined for us and he rose again. Well, then, what are we to learn from this song? God's people came out of slavery, sang that first joyful song of salvation, and then at the time of this psalm, they were crying out in a desperate situation. I think this song encourages us to cry out to God in whatever situation we're facing, to honestly pray, to remember his character, and to ask him to remember his justice and mercy. We might face times in life when it seems like everything's going wrong, when we look out and just see ruin everywhere, when God seems silent, inactive. At those times, we can sing this song, Psalm 74. But Jesus' cross assures us that this latest song won't be our everything song. Because at the cross, Jesus fully satisfied the justice of God and the mercy of God. It means that God's people don't finish there in the ruins of Jerusalem. That one day God's people will sing a new song in a new Jerusalem. That their everything song will be singing of all Jesus did. I said at the beginning I didn't know what my everything song would be, my everything record would be. But how about this from Revelation 19 verse 7. So if the first song of the people of God was that they'll sing of his rescue through the um, parting of the sea... Their latest song was, Oh God, why? And all they were facing. How about this as an everything song? Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Because Jesus is the Lamb who died for us, we look forward to a future with no ruins, not everlasting ruins, but everlasting joy, a wedding feast in bright, clean clothes. Because Jesus is the lamb who died for us, we don't fear judgment. We can rejoice and be glad. 
even amidst the ruins you might be facing this morning, that's an everything song that can give us hope for today. Let's pray. Lord, though sometimes our lives seem to be full of trouble, though nations rise and fall, and though individual circumstances can batter us day after day, we thank you that you are still the good, everlasting King reigning over all. We thank you that you are King forever, that there's none above you, there's none before you, everything is in your hands. Lord, sometimes we feel overwhelmed by what we face. Lord, help us to bring that to you each day. Lord, help us to pause and remember your character. Lord, help us to remember your justice, your mercy, your love. Lord, we thank you for the cross that assures us that we don't need to fear your judgment if we're trusting in you. Lord, we thank you for the hope that it gives us. Lord, though we can't guess what the future brings in each of our lives, we trust that you will be there with us, the everlasting King. Lord, we just thank you. That gives us something to sing and rejoice about each day, even in the worst of times. Lord, we praise you. Amen.